who do we choose? Who do we choose to give this coin? Who do we choose to invest in? Who do we trust for a return on our investment? When Katie and I first moved here about four years ago to Tennessee, my mouth began to hurt, okay? See, everywhere we went, there was the rich Tennessee accent. And like most people in a new area, I began to adopt this accent. But I didn't want to. I wanted to keep my Minnesotan accent because it was a part of my identity and a part of my heritage, okay? So my stubborn will was in direct conflict with the muscles in my mouth so that it actually hurts to talk the way I wanted to talk. Now, when I go up to Minnesota, I can whip out a Tennessee-ish accent, you know, when I'm having fun with my friends and family, but for the most part, I've kept my Minnesotan accent. I've got to be honest, though, I only told you this story so I could actually tell you a story about our kids. My kids, none of them have really any memory of growing up in Minnesota, okay? They've lived their entire lives here in Tennessee, which is good for Chloe because she was actually born here, so it makes sense that, you know, she wouldn't have any memories of Minnesota. But they're, they're developing a Tennessee accent, and they're seeing it as normal. Their entire lives, they're going to have this Tennessee accent. So when they get older, you know, when I want to hold on to my Minnesotan accent because it's part of my identity, it's part of my heritage, they're going to want to hold on to a Tennessee accent because it's going to be part of their identity and a part of their heritage. So when I say a word like hotel, they will say hotel. Just put a little draw on the end there. It's made me wonder when I grow up, well, when I'm already grown up, when they grow up, most of you are like, yeah, he still needs to grow up. <laughs> it's made me wonder when they grow up, if people are going to wonder if I'm actually their dad, because we're going to have different accents. They're going to be like, who's this strange guy with these kids? But again, uh, I've had ulterior motives. I only told you that story so I could actually talk to you about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. See, in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Sean Connery plays Harrison Ford's dad. Now, this always blew my mind, okay? Because Sean Connery is Scottish. Shout out to Sylvia. <laughs> and Harrison Ford is American. How could these two people play father and son? They have different accents. It always blew my mind. It wasn't until these last few years with my kids that I finally figured out how this was okay. And so I guess I could forgive the directors, the casting directors, the actors, and everyone involved in that script for this blatant oversight. Okay, so I only told you that story so I could tell you another story. This story is about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. This is the last part of the plot in that story. Here, Harrison Ford, who is Indiana Jones, gets all the way to the end. He has passed a bunch of tests, and he gets to a room where there are hundreds of cups, and he must choose the correct cup that is the Holy Grail. Okay, now the Holy Grail is the legend that the cup that Jesus drank out of when he was on the cross holds some special healing resurrection powers, okay? So... Indiana Jones has made it all the way through these tests, made it to this room, a bunch of cups there, and he has to choose the correct cup. Now, these cups, uh, they basically, you know, uh, gosh, what's the word? They appeal. There we go. They appeal to different parts of a person's personality. There's gold cups, there's silver cups, there's jeweled cups, all saying wealth, power, majesty, all right? Befitting for a king, right? But he must choose the correct one, because if he doesn't, it means instant, gruesome, 80s-style claymation death, okay? So it's a pretty serious choice. 
And not only does he have to choose the cup, he, get, he can't just sit there and go, I choose that one. No, he has to invest time, effort, and energy to grab that cup, fill it with water, and drink it, hoping that his investment paid off. But, and I assure you for the last time, I told you that story with another one in mind. The choice between Jesus and Barabbas. And that's the same choice that we have today. We've already read the scripture in the, in, earlier in the service, so I'm going to just talk about the people that are in this passage of, the, of scripture. First, we have Jesus. And I can tell you so many things about Jesus, of course, that I'm, I'm not going to. There's only two things that I'm going to highlight with Jesus right now, okay? First is that he's innocent. All four gospels, everything in the Bible has moved to show us that Jesus is completely innocent in every respect, okay? He is innocent. We don't question this whatsoever in this passage. The other thing I want to um, highlight is that throughout his entire ministry, he says that his kingdom is not of this world. Okay, this is very important to understand. Jesus, throughout his entire ministry, says, God's kingdom, my kingdom, is not of this world. Okay, he doesn't, he's not going to bring in a physical kingdom. And when an opportunity came for him to bring in a physical kingdom and kill a bunch of uh, Roman guards and Jewish guards in the process in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went quietly. So Jesus is on stage, and he's not giving the people what they want. Then we have Barabbas. I always thought it was interesting that Pilate tried to prove Jesus' innocence, but Barabbas, his innocence was never in question. All four Gospels tell us that he's a murderer, he's an insurrectionist, he's, he's a, a criminal. The worst of the worst, scum of the earth. And it's very important to um, zero in on insurrectionists. Okay, because insurrectionists meant that he took part in a revolt against the Roman government. See, every time I thought about Barabbas, I just thought he was the worst guy. He murdered. He was a criminal. He took the place of Jesus, for crying out loud. But he was an insurrectionist. And so the Jewish people wouldn't have seen him like I see him. See, the Jewish people see him on stage as someone who actually fought against the Roman government, actually fought for them and was captured. Why he f wasn't killed right away is anyone's guess, but he fought for what the people wanted. So they wouldn't have seen him as a criminal. They would have seen him as a hero. So we have Jesus on stage not giving them what they wanted. And we had Barabbas on stage who proved that he would do what they wanted. Then we have Pilate. This guard is... I like to talk in different languages sometimes. <laughs> then we have Pilate. This guy is hard to understand. See, he ruled his province with an iron fist. When Jesus was a kid, there was a revolt, and Pilate killed everyone involved, men, women, and children. He gave the order, and they were killed. And then not only did he kill them, he crucified hundreds of them and lined them up on the street for everyone to see. They were a warning not to mess with Pilate, not to mess with Rome, and not to mess with the peace of Rome. Fast forward a few years, and Pilate, who has no reason to listen to the chief priests, no reason to care about Jesus, and could easily order everyone in that crowd to be killed. Instead, listens to the chief priests, tries to prove Jesus' innocence, and tolerates a rambunctious crowd. And like I highlighted earlier, what does he do when he establishes Jesus' innocence? He goes, ah, 
I'll punish him still, you know, because he's innocent. And then I'll let him go. That always troubled me. I mean, why didn't he punish the chief priests who he proved were lying to him? Why didn't he punish the rambunctious crowd for getting worked up over nothing? And why did no one listen to this man who held so much power over their life and death? Because he proved three times that he was innocent. And he asked him, why are you trying to kill this guy? He's innocent, but no one would listen to him. So while everyone was looking to him to make a decision, we realized pretty quickly that the decision wasn't his to make. Then there's Herod, but he hardly merits a mention because he took the political opportunity to side with Pilate, and that's about it. Then there's the chief priests, but we already knew that they had it out for Jesus, so they chose Barabbas. There's only one group of people left here, and that's the crowd. The everyday average person. The teacher, the plumber, the business owner, the student. We were the ones who chose Barabbas over Jesus. We were the ones who chose what we wanted over what God wanted. We were the ones who sent Jesus to his death. We chose, we decided. And that same choice, that same decision is here today. So what do we want? What do we want? Power? Wealth? Financial prosperity? Are our sports teams to win? Go Vikings. Win the lottery? Our presidential candidate to win? Our laws to be passed? What do we want? Because there are so many things that I could highlight right now in this moment that you're just going to have to think for yourself. What do you want? And here's the tough thing that this passage confronts us with. We may think that what we want is what God wants, but that's not always the case. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it is, but a lot of the time, if we're going to be honest, we like to force our beliefs onto God and then say that we really got those beliefs from God. The crowd in this passage really, really wants a physical kingdom on earth. The time when David had riches and glory and they were the thing of the area. They were awesome. And they wanted that back. They wanted the Roman government gone. They wanted God to have his kingdom. They wanted to have a temple again. Just like it was. The glory days. That's what they really, really wanted. Even Jesus' disciples wanted that. Not only did they want it, but that they believed that this is what God wanted. They did not listen to Jesus, who kept telling them that they, he was trying to show them a new way in fulfillment of everything they knew. And sometimes we get caught up in the same tendencies. What I want becomes what God wants, whether God likes it or not. And it's hard to distinguish between the two. We can become so rigid in our belief that we want that what we want is exactly what God wants, that we become deaf and blind to the truth. See, when I had my call into ministry, it, it was the exact same thing. See, for three and a half years, I pursued music education, and I pursued being an officer in the Army. Three and a half years. I was months away from my graduation. And God's like, hey, you should join the ministry. I'm like, no, you don't want me to do that. No, you want me to go into music education, and you want me to become an officer in the army, because that's what I've been doing for the last three and a half years. You can't just go change the rules when I'm so close to the end. But no, God said, 
come into ministry. And I resisted for so long, and I tested him. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a tester. I think I've told you this before, but I test things all the time. But God kept saying, no, I want you into ministry. And, you know, guess who won? <laughs> Sometimes we have ears to hear, but we cannot hear. Eyes to see, but we cannot see. In fact, even though these people had Jesus walking among them for years, teaching them the radical way that God wanted them to be, to turn the other cheek, to bless those who persecute you, to give your cloak to the poor, to serve as a leader and lead as a servant, even though he was doing this for years among them, they still couldn't see it. They still wanted a physical kingdom on earth. Even the disciples of Jesus asked, who can be at your right and left when your kingdom comes? Me? Can it be me? So Jesus was forced on stage, and he was silent. And in one of, I think, only two times in the Bible, when a democratic choice was given, Jesus was sentenced to death. But the truth is never left without a voice. See, for us today, to help us distinguish between what we want and what God wants, we have the Bible, we have pastors, we have friends, mentors, we have people around us that we can go to. But when we ignore all of those, God will still raise up a voice, and we're not going to like where it comes from. Who was the sole voice of truth in this passage? It was Pilate. Pilate alone sought out Jesus' innocence told the crowd that he was innocent and sent off for a second opinion to prove that he was innocent. And Pilate was considered a pagan, a brutal murderer, the very embodiment of everything wrong that these people saw in the world. The very representative of an entire nation and society against God. And yet he was the only one who told the truth. Friends, these voices exist today. They exist in the same unlikely places that we don't want to listen to. But we had better listen because God is desperately trying to get our attention. We must always search. Search ourselves. Search what we're doing to see if we are putting what we want in front of what God wants. And what does God want? Again, we could stay here till about 6 o'clock, and then we'll come back again the next day and the next day, and it'll take a while to answer that question. But the most important things that we can realize is that God wants a relationship with us. Just as we are, God wants us to come. This is God's most basic call in our lives, and I believe God's heart, the, the deepest desire of God's heart. See, we don't have to act a certain way. We don't have to dress a certain way. We don't have to do things a certain way. We don't have to be perfect. In fact, let me let you in on a little secret. None of us are perfect before or after becoming a Christian. In fact, let's just say this to our neighbor. Turn to your left. I'm not perfect. Turn to, the, to your other left. I'm not perfect. <laughs> There, that's nice and freeing, right? You can finally admit we're not perfect, and we don't have to start acting like we're perfect now, do we? We can actually act the way we are, authentic, who we are, the experiences we've had, the choices we've made. We can be who we are, and that's what God wants. 
because he doesn't want someone to be fake, to come to God just as we think we should be. I shouldn't act like John, because I'm not John. I shouldn't act like Jamie, because I'm not Jamie. Chris shouldn't act like me, although you should. I'm just playing. Chris isn't me. (laughs) We still stumble. We still fall. We still have it within us to be those chief priests. It's okay. The baby was just saying amen to what I was saying. I'm good with it. We still have it within ourselves to be those chief priests on stage advocating to kill Jesus because we don't think, we don't get it like we think we do sometimes. You hear me, followers of Christ? We can be those chief priests, not just the crowd who chanted for Jesus' death, Jesus' death, but the ones who arrest him falsely accuse him, don't listen to the truth, and rile up the crowd. That video highlighted it very well. It's like we're competing, we're arguing, we're combating to get people to understand what we know, but we do it so much that we scare that little girl. We scare the people so that they don't want to trust us. They don't want to make a choice between Jesus or Barabbas. They don't want to give their coin. They drop it, and it gets lost. And if I would have let that video kept playing, that little girl actually demands money from the two people. And don't we see that in our society today? That sometimes we can get so combative and argumentative that not only are people turned away from the truth, but now they demand something in return. They demand a right back, a privilege. But one of the most beautiful things that God wants is to take us in all of our faults and create us into something new. We come to God just as we are, and in our journey with him, we slowly begin to realize that God is actually changing us into a new creation, more than we could ever have believed possible. See, Jesus radically changes our lives as we pursue him and are in relationship with him. And that's what God wants, to be known with more than just heart or head knowledge and to know everything about us. God desires mercy, not us being fake, but who we are truly. So it's time to choose. Jesus or Barabbas? What we want or what God wants. And this isn't a choice that can be put off. See, in fact, many people think that they can think about it and then come back to it later. But in reality, you're just choosing Barabbas for the time. See, you can choose Jesus later, but when you wait, you're actually choosing Barabbas until then. You're choosing what you want to do. I need to think over it more. I need to, I need to process some more things before I actually choose Jesus. You know, when I was growing up, I was kind of the one, and my brother was the same way, that, you know what, I just need to get one last thing I know is wrong in before I accept Jesus. Anyone like that? I just want to do one last thing, one last thing, and then I'll come to Christ. But that's not how it works. Because for the time being, we're still choosing Barabbas. And like the one-man bands in the Pixar video, both choices are competing 
for our decision. And like the little girl, we have to choose which one to give our coin to. And it doesn't stop there, because that coin is an investment. When we choose Jesus and what we want, or what we want, when we choose between Jesus and what we want, it doesn't end there. We have to invest in that choice. We start making decisions based on that initial choice. If we choose what we want, we're going to start going down this road. And if we choose what Jesus wants, what God wants, then we're going to start traveling towards him. We must choose now, and we must choose wisely, because this choice is going to affect our entire lives. See, I can't tell you how many times I chose what I wanted, chose what I wanted to do and invested in that choice, only to have pain and, and hurt and lost time with Jesus. See, I have struggled with so many sins, so many misunderstandings, and consequences of my decisions, all because I turned away from what I knew I was supposed to do. I lost about a year because I decided I wanted to do music education and be an officer in the army. Don't be like me. Choose Jesus and invest in Jesus here and now. Because again, it's more than the initial choice. It's an investment. It's a million little decisions that guide each and every step after that first choice. It's what I call driving muscle memory and spiritual muscle memory. See, when we first get into a car, we have to be very conscious about when we're putting on the blinker, when we're putting on the brake. We're so worried and so conscious about everything. Where do I look? Is this the wipers? I don't know. We're so conscious about it all. But when we do it, over and over again, anyone ever arrive at a destination and not remember how you got there? Yeah? Well, the same thing is with spiritual muscle memory. See, when we first choose to do what we want, let's say take a candy bar, we have a million little decisions to make after that. So I decide I want to take a candy bar. I have to consciously decide to put each step in front of the other as I head into the store. I have to consciously reach out my hand, wrap my fingers around that candy bar, stick it in my pocket, and so on and so forth. And the, each choice leads to the next and leads to the next, and it becomes easier and easier until we develop a spiritual muscle memory. Each little choice is an opportunity to stop. And it isn't just one decision. And when we give into one choice, then it becomes easier to give into another and another until finally we have developed the muscle memory that distances ourselves from God and our relationship with God. Because we chose what we wanted and we pursued it, pursued it and invested in that decision. We have to be careful what we choose because we must be careful in what we are willing to invest. The same is true for those times that we invest in God. And let's just be honest, it is hard, it is so much harder to invest in God than it is to do what we want, because we actually want to do what we want. And sometimes we want to invest in God, that's true, but it's so much harder to invest in God. It's easy to choose what we want, invest in that choice, develop the muscle memory, and continue on that road. For example, it'd be easier to sit within these four walls and not leave here, because this is a safe space. It is so much harder to go outside of these four walls, to go to where the people are and invest in them, to go to their homes, to go to the bars, to invite people back 
here. We can decide that we want to do this. It is so much harder to get out and actually do it. We can decide that we want to show love, but it's so much harder to get out and actually do it. But that is exactly what this church is about. This is a safe space for any and everyone to come, just as they are. And let's just put the nail on the head. People are not going to act the way that we want them to act. Chris, you're not going to act like I want you to act. But that's good. That's a beautiful thing. Because God created him differently than God created me. Not everyone's going to act like me, and I'm not going to act like anyone else wants me to. So I'm probably, you know, offending about 40 people right now. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Chris. But that's going to happen. And you know what? If there's one thing that I've had to learn this last year, and yeah, I've had to learn this for some reason, kids will be kids. They're going to be rambunctious. They're going to be rowdy, and that's okay. I thought I knew that, but no, I had to learn it. We're always learning. And you know what? Teens will be teens. Sometimes they might make a mistake and break something. That's okay. We'll hide it. We're good. (laughs) And adults, well, we'll try to be adults sometimes. And you know what? Non-Christians, people who are not a Christian, they're not going to act like they're a Christian. That's that's something that's really hard to understand right now. People who are not a Christian aren't going to act like they're a Christian. And Christians, guess what? We're going to act like we're not a Christian sometimes too. It's because we're all in process. We're all making all of those little mini choices that we're investing in our decisions. Because make no mistake about it, when we choose between Bar- choose Barabbas over Jesus, we kill Jesus every time. Listen to me here. God wants a relationship with us and is developing a relationship with us through Jesus. But when we choose what we want and we invest in that choice, we are hurting our relationship with God and God's relationship with the world. We're hurting God's relationship with the world. See, the chief priests did a very good job of pushing Jesus and the crowd apart. And thus, when we choose what we want over what God wants, we can, we can cut off our relationship with God. And it's not God who's pushing us away. It is us who are pushing God away. Thank God Almighty for Jesus. Man. I mean, you see, when the crowd had three chances to understand that Jesus was innocent and stop yelling for his death, they decided to yell even louder that Jesus be crucified. And how did Jesus respond? With grace, mercy, and love. And when the chief priests, the people who are supposed to know better, listen up, followers of Christ, the chief priests who are supposed to know better, they were in the scripture, they should have known. But when they advocated for Jesus to be killed and succeeded, how did Jesus respond? With grace, mercy, and love. And when Pilate the pagan, brutal murderer who was the very embodiment of everything wrong and the very embodiment of a society against God. When he advocated for Jesus' innocence but still ordered his death, how did Jesus respond? With grace, mercy, and love. There is nothing, nothing in this world that is more important 
than these three things. And so, it's time to choose. Jesus or Barabbas. What we want or what God wants. It is time to listen to Pilate. It's time to choose. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you now in the midst of a decision. The choice we have now is the same choice that the people had to make 2,000 years ago, to choose you or to choose what we want. Lord, this decision may be about accepting your call in our lives and pursuing you. It may be about stopping something destructive in our lives. It may be about being more gracious when people make mistakes or make wrong choices. It may be a, the choice may be about being more loving when others are angry with us. And Lord, we are trying to choose right now. We know that if we wait to choose, then we are choosing what we want for the time being. So help us. Help us choose you. And we thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you that we can know that if we don't choose you now, you'll never stop calling. You will never stop pursuing us and never stop wanting a relationship with us. But God, we also acknowledge that we're not, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed four hours from now. We're not even guaranteed to make it to the end of this prayer. Lord, take away any reason that may be between us and you. Be with us as we stumble and help us to encourage one another as we work to invest in you. Lord, work in the hearts and minds of everyone here. Help us choose you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it's time to decide, and it's time to invest in that decision. The altar is open for anyone who wants to come forth and talk about that decision, ask questions. This time is for you. So it's as we decide and as we choose, won't we stand and sing with us?